Welcome to Clement Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's Clement Tech Revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernau, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hey guys, welcome back to Climate Insiders for season two. We have an amazing list of guests, and we're kicking things off with Benjamin Joff, a partner at SOSV, a global deep tech fund with 1,000 portfolio companies and $1.3 billion in asset under management. They focus on early stage planetary and human health. They invest the very first checks at Pre-Seed, the other startup program, HAX in hard tech, Indie Bio in biology, Orbit in frontier markets, and D-Lab in blockchain. Benjamin started in an investing role in the HAX program in Shenzhen, and then quickly moved to work on the non-investing role across the portfolio. He's been an active angel investor, a super speaker and moderator in hundreds of events globally, and he's now the curator at SOSB Climate Tech Summit, which happens to be every year a virtual event, generally in October. We'll speak in length uh, about it. Benjamin has a lot of insights to share on this episode. We will cover his views on the climate tech ecosystem in Europe and in Asia, the role of SOSV in climate tech. They happen to be the most active climate tech investor globally, and even touch on building your personal brand in today's noisy social media era. Let's jump right into it. Benjamin, welcome to Climate Insiders. Thanks for having me, Jan. Could you briefly describe SOSV for those that don't know you? Fund size, geography, ticket size? Absolutely. So SOSV is a global deep tech fund focused on early stage. We particularly focus on climate tech and health tech uh, globally. Uh, the last fund we raised was close to $300 million. We have now over $1.3 billion under management. And we invest in a, about 100 or so new startups every year. And we invest via our startup programs in hard tech and biology. So the hard tech program is called Hacks. And the biology program is called IndieBio. And you were founded, I, I read that the, the founding year was 1994 in Princeton, New Jersey. And the name comes from its founder, Sean O'Sullivan. And so SOSV derives from Sean O'Sullivan Ventures. Um, is he still involved today? Absolutely. Uh, he's signing all the, all the checks post uh, programs uh, for in the, all the companies. And, uh, and um, in the early years, he actually used to meet every single founder even at the very, very early stages. Uh, so you're right. Uh, the, the fund started as a family office created by Sean. Sean is an entrepreneur. He IPO'd a company that he created out of university. Uh, he's been a successful investor and entrepreneur since then. And in 95, was very much still uh, him on the checkbook uh, that gradually evolved uh, to getting turning into more classical uh, VC fund. In 2015 was the first time we actually uh, welcomed external LPs. And 2019, uh, Sean became finally a minority LP in the fund, mm. uh, making it more like a, like a more classical um, VC fund. Who, who backs SOSV today? I'm curious to know where those 1.3 billion under management come from. If you, if you can say so, is that government money, large corporates? 
or um, money laundering? Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I was about to say lo lo all of the above, uh, except uh, <laughs> I was a bit fast uh, thinking so. Uh, but uh, it's both. Uh, so we're still kind of a fairly new fund if you consider that the first classic VC structure, uh, a majority LP, uh, was in 2019. So the type of, of backers for this type of, of fund is typically uh, family offices, high net worth, and corporates. So for corporates, uh, there's a lot of strategic alignment with uh, the areas of focus we have. And uh, for high net worth and uh, family offices, they're interested in the, the risk-adjusted returns that a diversified portfolio like ours provide. And, and today... SOSV is enormous. You're more than 400 employees, dozens of programs, accelerators, and funds. How do you keep this all together under the same umbrella? And, and how, can you paint us a picture of how many partners you are? How is this structured internally? Okay, yeah, I'll correct a bit the numbers because uh, we're, we're not 400 people. We are about 130 full-time at the moment. Okay. Uh, but there's a lot of ex-employees because uh, over the past decade, there's been a lot of people uh, going through the fund at different, different positions. Uh, in terms of um, programs, uh, we did uh, operate a number of different programs, but today the two major programs we operate are the ones I mentioned, the HACS program for health tech, in the bio for biology. We have another one focused on emerging markets, on software, uh, that's called Orbit, uh, as well as a small kind of pilot program for blockchain. Uh, so there's not that many programs we have run. But over the years, we, we did try uh, several others. And, uh, uh, we decided to focus on the most promising ones. Uh, you asked about a number of GPs and partners. So we have 12 GPs as of today. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so spread out around the world. So the, as you said, the fund... Uh, is registered as a, as a Princeton-based fund because that's where Sean lives and is based. Uh, but actually, our offices are quite uh, spread out. Uh, our biggest offices are in San Francisco, New York, Shanghai, and Shenzhen. And we have other branches in different places. And personally, I'm based in Lisbon after having be, been based uh, in the Shenzhen office for several years. And I'm going to poke you a little bit. Historically, you've invested in, you mentioned blockchain companies and even an infamous, correct me if I'm wrong, but the in famous crypto exchange, BitMEX. And why did you suddenly decide to get into climate? Well, it, it's more kind of, actually, the, the journey has been a little bit different from, from, uh, from that. Actually, the climate journey started way earlier uh, with investments in companies like Jump Bikes, for example, uh, mm -hmm. which was acquired by Uber, one of the early players in micromobility. Um, so we were the lead investors uh, in, the, in the Series A and uh, the largest shareholder at the acquisition. Uh, so actually, the climate investment started way earlier. Uh, the company you mentioned, BitMEX, is, is more, I would say, an anomaly in the portfolio, uh, but came from our cross-border market investments. And uh, so uh, it, it did go through some uh, legal challenges uh, because of, the, mm -hmm. I'd say, the enthusiasm in a crypto um, that led to maybe less than optimal KYC uh, at some point. Uh, but it's all sorted out now, and the company is uh, still doing extremely well. Uh, it's actually one of the top performing companies in the portfolio. Yeah. Um, but it's really not the focus of today. So climate uh, across all the kind of the big five, so, you know, uh, transportation, energy, you know, food and ag, industry, uh, and buildings is really uh, what we focus on now. And that's a good segue to your role today. And SOSV now organizes 
an annual climate tech virtual event called the SOSV Climate Tech Summit, which will take place this year on October 25th, 26th, so coming up very soon. The lineup looks great uh, with some of the world's most renowned funds, some of the most prominent journalists. Uh, I highly recommend attending, by the way. The summit aims to spread information and foster connections within the climate ecosystem. How, how does that work exactly? And how do you make this all work virtually? Yeah, so the idea of the Climate Summit came last year when we decided to be more um, communi communicate more about our climate portfolio. So we've made probably close to 200 investments in climate tech uh, since we started. Uh, we publish now every six months an update of our top 100 most promising companies. And we thought that there's a lot of tech events out there, but there's not really a single event that tries to bring together startups and investors in climate from all around the world. It's very difficult to do this offline, uh, especially with COVID and all, that, all that's happening around that. Um, so we thought, okay, well, how about we try to do something online and virtual and try to bring the interesting voices among like new VCs, established VCs, uh, as well as startups. So last year we had founders representing nine climate tech unicorns. This year, mm -hmm. I think we have about five. Um, and top, like last year, we had speakers like Bill Gates, Vinod Kosla, Tony Fadell. And this year, we changed entirely the lineup for, to have new voices. And the idea is to inform, inspire, and help people connect. So, the, we so this event also, I should mention, is, is a free event uh, that we organize to, to support the community. And I think for us, the idea is to connect better and to help people connect better to increase the chances of success of startups, uh, of inspire founders who might want to start climate tech companies to you know, um, help them understand what's the journey ahead and how to avoid mistakes and how to make things better. And on the investment side, uh, we have now over a thousand investors signed up for the event this year. And many of them haven't necessarily done a lot of climate deals and are trying to you know, reinforce and inform their playbook going forward. So that's also the, the purpose of this event. And uh, I, I was looking at the lineup. It's, it's, it still remains uh, US heavy. I, I'm assuming it's just a history of the event. Do you see as the event evolves uh, a, a better balance between continents, the three continents that you're most present, US, Europe, and China? How is this going to play out? Yeah. Um... So we try to bring some diversity, geographic diversity to the event. Uh, it, it happens so that uh, the most active and largest companies and funds are still based in the US. Uh, we do put some effort, though, in inviting both startups and funds from other geographies. So we have a few uh, funds from Europe. We have World Fund, who's speaking this year, for instance. Uh, and uh, we've invited a number of uh, uh, Europe-based startups. Uh, but it's, it's true that you know, there's talent everywhere, but in terms of uh, ac access to resources, uh, access to capital, uh, visibility, uh, it's not equally distributed. Uh, even in Asia, like we were hoping to have somebody talk about China, and we're looking at identifying a specialized climate fund that could maybe give us an overview of what's going on in China. Uh, and we couldn't just find a, a good fund to do that. We had some conversations, uh, but some were hesitant to speak uh, because they don't feel like sharing information and uh, and there's just not as many funds uh, yet that are active in in places like Asia um, now uh, we among the kind of the, the perspectives we bring uh, we did invite 
uh, a fund from Singapore called uh, uh, Gen Zero. That's part of Temasek. It's a global decarbonization fund. It's actually really large, uh, about $3.6 billion. And uh, just this morning, uh, I was actually uh, talking with the, the minister for the sustainability and the environment from Singapore, which because um, Singapore is a very interesting, uh, unique position as a country uh, that it's a tropical island with very limited resources for both food and energy and industry. And they're trying to decarbonize everything and to you know reach some level of uh, security or independence in all those three fields. They also want to, from the last couple of months, have, have sent a clear signal to gain exposure to European climate tech. So Temasek, the government fund, is is really looking to support European funders and and funds. I see this year, 2022, as really an uptick. So you mentioned a heavy historical uh, part balance towards the U.S. Have you seen this rebalancing happening this year from your chair? Yeah, uh, there's a lot more climate funds that have uh, started uh, all around the world. Uh, there's a number of them in Europe that are that are very interesting, and a number of uh, you know unique initiatives. Uh, the difficulty, I think, for when you organize a global event is that you're limited also by, by the time and mm-hmm. you know, available space you have. We have uh, we're hosting about 20 different sessions. Uh, probably one third are VC related, one third are uh, more tech and startups, and a few on policy, on the, even a, a science fiction writer, Neil Stevenson, who's speaking there. So mm, when you try to balance right. things, the, you know, we're trying to figure out what are the most interesting companies that could benefit as many people as possible. Uh, there's also a question of availability. Like there's some speakers we're hoping to have that either were not available or not keen on speaking for various reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, we're working on it, and uh, hopefully we'll have more and more uh, like diverse voice. And um, I, 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 I wanted to bounce on on the your look. You have the we have the privilege to have you having worked extensively in Shenzhen in China, and. SOSV having a big footprint in, in Asia. Could you paint us a picture of the interactions you see in the climate tech space between China and Europe specifically on the deal side, on the, the expansion of European startups, on government funds from Asia trying to invest in Europe? What, what, what do you see and where is, where is this going in the next few years? Well, you're asking a very uh, kind of broad question here, um, but I can tell from our perspective. So we're looking at deals all over. All over the world like it doesn't matter where the company is from if the tech is good the team is good we'll invest uh, so in recent years though we've done mostly investments in uh so singapore is actually punching really above its weight for us uh then we've done quite a number of deals uh in india and pakistan but it's more like general kind of internet deals rather than climate deals even though there's a few emerging ones uh china is a bit tricky to invest in uh as a u.s fund uh, because of geopolitics, um, mm-hmm. so that that doesn't help. Um, even for Chinese investors trying to invest uh, abroad, there's also more and more restrictions in the US or, or Europe. So that also doesn't help. Uh, but we see talent uh, coming out of China. We see talent, uh, Chinese talent abroad. And uh, if we look at other ge- Asian geographies, there's also really interesting things going on in you know the, the classic uh, developed Asian uh, nations such as Japan and South Korea. Uh, that have kind of a larger scale, um, but uh, they tend to be less visible uh, for for foreign investors, and uh, it, it's uh, it's easy, harder to access uh, their deal uh, deal flow there. And in terms of specifically for funds, clearly Europe has a, a a policy advantage, right? Governments are aware of what they need to do. They have clear targets for 2030. 
we see uh, things picking up again in the US and accelerating China and Asia specifically. Is the climate conversation already mature? Is it uh, changing? Where is it today? So I think for Asia, it really depends who you're talking to. Uh, if you're talking to China, uh, China is one of the very few countries that can actually make really long-term plans and actually stick to them and deliver. So they have plans to decarbonize by you know, 2030, by 2060. They have different goals and targets. And like all indicators seem to, to point to the idea that they're actually going to achieve those targets. Uh, China uh, is deploying more renewable energy than anybody else. Uh, they're deploying more EVs than anybody else. There's also a large amount of venture capital that's deployed in China to support early stage startups uh, from private funds and government funds. So China is kind of its own thing. Uh, now, other countries, I mentioned Singapore earlier, they also have long-term goals, long-term plans. And uh, uh, even though they have a, a democratic system, uh, it still allows for making those plans kind of historically because of uh, you know, the initial foundation of Singapore and, uh, and how uh, they thrived. Uh, for other countries, It depends. So Japan seems to be really keen on uh, things like hydrogen, uh, but uh, in terms of you know other initiatives, I haven't really seen like very very strong policies. I haven't really you know looked in detail at it. Um, and uh, if but then if you look at emerging Asia places like India, Pakistan, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, very different picture you have to paint there. Uh, in most of those countries, the population is still growing. The G they still want to grow GDP fast. Uh, they're still trying to achieve what we would call like a, a you know, modern Western standard of li lifestyle um, and standard of living. So uh, if you look at the consequences in terms of carbon emissions, obviously that's going to be, that means that that's going to go up. And uh, it's not so easy to, at the same time, green your energy mix or uh, make your industries more optimized. So I think, unfortunately, there's not that many tech solutions that are targeting emerging markets in Asia uh, or South America or Africa uh, that take that into account. Um, so I, have, I still have hope. Uh, I think uh, that uh, there will be more and more solutions for that. And hopefully when they modernize and when they establish new infrastructures, uh, and, um, they, they will go for the green solution first. A little bit like you know, many, many emerging, emerging markets had their first uh, telecom line uh, through mobile. And I, I wanted to, to go back to SOSV's role in, in this global picture, this global chessboard. You play a role in acceleration, right, through your different programs. You also do direct investments. Uh, what about you personally? Are you more involved on, 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 on uh, advocating, uh, event organizing, rep representation, or, or also on the investment side? And where do you, how do you structure geographically your investment scope? Yes. Yeah, so personally, my, my role is kind of across. So I help generate deal flow. I help connect with, uh, with the ecosystem, investors, media. Uh, as you mentioned, I also uh, participate actively uh, in the, the organization of our, our annual events and other initiatives. Uh, also, I need to clarify that the, the fund that tip, um, always invests the first check uh, through the programs we run. So we don't do direct investment really outside of that. But the programs are the first check, really, uh, of a long series of checks that we hope to sign for those, uh, for those companies. And we deploy about 20% of the fund at the program level and 80% in follow-on. So the first check is typically $250,000 to $500,000. And later on, we can invest several million, like up to five or more per company. Interesting. Good to know. So no direct investment, 20% of it funneled through the different programs yes. yeah, over acceleration and 80% in reserve for follow-on. 
That's right. You've also played a, a personally a great role in thought leadership as a keynote speaker, moderator, panelist. Uh, you've played a direct role in more than 300 events across 35 countries. So let's mention some of those events, TechCrunch Disrupt, Slush, Hello Tomorrow, South by Southwest, Le Web. So you've been all over the, the place. Is taking part in, in all those events and building a personal brand a must to spread ideas further? Or are there other ways that you've explored to contribute? So I think that there's kind of different aspects to participating in events. Um, when you're a relatively new fund or you have a new thesis, you need to achieve some level of visibility to generate your deal flow. So very kind of self-serving manner, you can ask yourself the question, how I'm going to get the best deal flow as I can? Because you cannot have better results than what you know, the quality of your deal flow provides. So we took uh, the decision to try to give visibility to our approach and share the knowledge we had around uh, hard, hardware, hard tech, biology, climate tech, and also health tech that we also do. So it's one approach. Uh, some other funds have other ways to get visible, but uh, I think fundamentally we believe that paying it forward uh, works, uh, that if you explain what you do, if you provide some level of transparency, if you show that you know what you're talking about, um, people will you know, benefit from it. And uh, even, you know, they might not necessarily work with you or want an investment from you. Um, you might still be kind of top of mind in your field. So I, I think that that was partly what, uh, what motivated our sharing. So it's really building a brand as a fun. And there's, there's always a balance between fun representation and personal representation, where building a personal brand today carries more, you know, we see that on social media than corporate brand. Do you advise... Mm -hmm. All the funds, the, the, the wannabe funds or the funds that are newcomers to do more event representation and to be more visible or on the contrary, better to nail their stuff, their sectors, become true experts and put a, a blog post out occasionally. What's the best use of your time uh, personally, but also as an ecosystem player? I wouldn't be prescriptive of the right way to do things. I think it really depends of which sector you're in and uh what kind of people work at your fund? Uh, if you have somebody who really likes to write and uh, collect a lot of ideas and likes to share, yeah, let them write and uh, encourage them to write and find outlets either on your own blog or maybe as a you know, guest author uh, on other media. Uh, in the early years of uh, SOSV, I published uh, probably two dozen long-form columns on TechCrunch uh, to explain what we're doing and uh, share ideas of, what, of, of things we've learned. Uh, so I think that helped at the time. Uh, we published also a number of presentations and slideshows uh, that were viewed by hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, so that, that can be a, a way to do it. Uh, you're doing a podcast. I think that's also a, a great way to get visibility and to learn and share. And um, there's new platforms all the time, but fundamentally, I think it has to fit the personality of the people running the fund, ideally. I think it's very difficult to, to speak in a kind of anonymous voice of a, corporate, of a corporation. Uh, there's also some really established funds that really don't care about any type of representation of visibility. You can think of Sequoia, for example. They typically don't talk too much because they've been around for so long. They're That's so right. well known. But for new entrants, definitely you need to do something to, to have some visibility. Uh, and that could be, uh, you know, podcasts, articles, presentations, public, public speaking, frankly, in, in one, in, on the one hand, it has benefits, but on the other, I almost consider it kind of the studio audience to test ideas. 
And uh, if you think that a presentation that you can do in front of, you know, let's say a few hundred people, you can put online and get it potentially in front of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, the idea of the um, offline uh, is like is like a, a TV studio. Uh, it's not necessarily the the, the final destination, the final crowd uh, for your message. And also, ideas evolve. Like uh, something that starts maybe as a you know just a few ideas on a, on a, on tweet on Twitter could be uh, you can turn maybe later into a presentation, later into an article, later into a, a report, uh, later into I don't know some video uh, you would put put online. Uh, the challenge is to find distribution. It's not just to create content. How are you going to reach people and how are you going to get them interested with something unique and valuable? I wanted to double click on this. This is interesting from my perspective and, and I'm sure for many. We live in a noisy social media driven environment today where there's a lot of vanity metrics, so the follows, likes and, and so forth and so on. Is this a natural path to get access to the best deals or is there a better, more qualitative uh, a way to to really get in the mind of entrepreneurs that are on especially deep tech hardware working on really complex solutions to have a, a more direct approach it, it depends who you target uh, for instance uh, if you think of a, a postdoc or phd currently in a new university maybe they don't read TechCrunch. maybe they never heard of TechCrunch. so the question is what do they read? What might they see? Uh, what might they search online when they're thinking about starting a company? If you can show up in those results, then you're doing the right thing. If you can find ways to reach out to them, maybe through LinkedIn or some whatever other channels you have, uh, or some some you know relationships with those those universities, maybe you don't you know uh, that's maybe the most relevant. Uh, we work a lot with first-time founders, and for us. Uh, it's really important that they know we exist at that time uh, because if they already move on to raise a seed, a seed round, uh, it will be probably too late for us to work with them. So for that, uh, we work with, uh, you know, making, trying to make them aware in different ways through, uh, uh, you know, discussing with labs, uh, how, encouraging entrepreneurs, uh, organizing some offline events sometimes to, to invite PhDs, researchers or engineers or, for, or people who are thinking about the, the domains we cover. I think there's really a variety of strategies. Uh, there's no, you know, one solution for everything. Uh, it really depends on what your goal are, goals are. And if the goal is to attract the best deals, I wanted to get uh, SOSB's opinion on software versus hardware when it comes to what drives maximum returns financially, but also impact footprint. Any strong opinion there? Well, there's, we have kind of a, a view on that. It's not so much in terms of returns, it's in terms of what we decided to focus on and why. So we focus on, on solutions that have a physical component through biology or through hardware. Um, we decided to do something that everybody thought was really hard because we thought it could be impactful and provide great returns and was also less competitive uh, because seen as more difficult. If you do, you know, if you're one VC doing SaaS solution like everyone else, you basically a little bit anonymous. Uh, you work with the same metrics, you have the same playbook, you're not really that potentially that differentiated. Whereas if you're able to support, uh, like in our case, with experts on staff, uh, with labs that we have built uh, companies to go from lab to an advanced prototype and potentially to market, it makes a huge difference. Uh, and in addition, if you think about you know, climate, um, you know, there's just so much you can do with software. Uh, you can probably optimize some processes. You can measure stuff. 
But at the end of the day, if you really want to change something in the physical world, you have to be able to interact with the physical world. And that means, you know, some kind of hardware, some kind of new technology that has a physical component. Uh, and, you know, you cannot do uh, software food, for instance. That's right. I would totally uh, concur on that front. There's also a recurring theme here. It's differentiation as a fund. And it seems like you're very thoughtful about how to differentiate on the crowded ecosystem to compete for the best deals. There is a voice building a brand, but also a building access to the, the technology very early, early stage. It is the name of the game, I'm assuming. And you've been around for decades already investing differentiation. You don't want to be prescriptive. Do you, know, do you have any insights or, or, or opinion to share with uh, upcoming funds? Is it uh, hard to, to, what is the key of differentiation today? Is it really nailing one particular area, becoming more and more specific? Or is it uh, more of a geographical anchor? I think it can be a mix of things, uh, but it's something that sets you apart. Uh, you could say, okay, we're the best, I don't know, biotech fund in the Nordics, for example. Uh, or we are super specialists at everything. Uh, I was about to say enterprise SaaS, but uh, let's talk climate. Let's say we super specialize with, uh, we know really well mat materials. We, and we do global deals on materials. That, those are like ways to differentiate. Uh, obviously, geography is also um, uh, an important differentiation. Uh, some fans get really good access because of their presence and their connections in a particular geography. Our choice has been to be very early stage at a very risky stage, heavy on providing resources uh, with labs and experts and capital at a time where founders have a really hard time to find those. That has been our way. Um, the jury is still out there. That's actually going to be uh, like the, the best way or one of or a great way. Uh, um, and um, most of the companies we invested in are still pretty young. But uh, yeah, I think that works. It's all about uh, being thoughtful about your positioning and how you articulate it to, to what audience. Indeed, it's all about a thoughtful differentiation. I want you to jump into a rapid fire round. So the concept is, is simple. I'm going to give you two options, A or B. You give us uh, your, your choice and just uh, briefly in one sentence explain why. Are you okay? Sure. Great. So the first question is uh, helping your portfolio or picking the founders. What is SOSV better at? So you're focused on the first check. Uh, what drives success is very much the quality of the founders or is the resources that you're providing through your acceleration program? Well, it all starts with the founders. Uh, if you don't find a great team, uh, whatever resources you throw at them is not going to solve that. So start with the founders. Contrarian versus consensus. Looking back, which bet paid the, the biggest dividend so far? Investing in contrarian ideas or more consensus? So I wouldn't. So in our case, it's not because people thought they were bad ideas. It, it's mostly because people thought they were difficult or sometimes close to impossible. Like we're one of the first investors in alter, alternative proteins. Uh, we've done deals in companies like Upside Foods, Perfect Day, Notco, that are all three unicorns today. Uh, but seven years ago, when Upside Foods said, "Okay, we're going to grow a, a you know a hamburger in the lab," uh, people look at them. Nobody wanted to give them money. It's not like yeah, um, I'd say th those have really paid off pretty well. And uh, in, on the hard tech front, uh, we've done a lot of robotics deal. Uh, one company in the robotics portfolio we invested in about seven, eight years ago, just raised a, a big seven, 70 million round uh, for uh, robots that can clean commercial spaces. So, you know, you have to have a bit of patience for these type of deals. And uh, that, but uh, 
I mean, this one, and we have another one that um, uh, was very successful uh, doing uh, automation for biotech labs, a company called Opentrons, uh, that turned into a unicorn last year. And again, at the time, people were like, oh, why would you do like a, a robots for biotech that are, you know, desktop size? Like, who, people just couldn't understand what was the, the market for it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it turned out that there was a, a pretty big one. Next question is talking about events, virtual versus physical events. What is the best to stimulate connections and spread information? Spread information online is the mm -hmm. best. Make connections Offline is the best. Uh, we're trying to do things online for making new connections, uh, but I think it's just that it's very hard to replace yet the, the shaking hands. The, yeah, shaking hands, spending time, uh, the ability to introduce also friends of friends or connections of connections. Uh, I was recently in a, in a, a kind of a few days a retreat uh, organized by a, a company called a fund called Voyagers. Um, they mm -hmm. were bringing together about 50, 60 people in climate tech over three days, um, you know, uh, doing, doing some activities and getting to know each other. And you cannot do that online. It's just impossible. Can you tell us more? I'm, I'm actually curious about this summit. Is it uh, fund managers? Is it uh, true experts? It, it was a mix of people. Uh, that you, can, you can check that on voyagers.io uh, and uh, uh, see uh, see what kind of activities they provide, but uh, it's a fund that's basically community driven, and mm -hmm. they understand that to foster community, you need to get actually people physically together. Okay, sure, yeah. You're you're mentioning David Rowan's Voyagers community, and that's they right. do a side event. Uh, we were going to link everything in the show note. Um, I'm I'm personally part of this community. I haven't attended any of the physical events yet, but I certainly intend to in future. And last question is is really SOSVs vision of the future and how to scale a, a franchise. Is it better to build an enormous fund, a core fund, or to build 20 smaller dedicated funds? So what do you advise to newcomer funds as they grow in AUM is to continue raising the roof on their core fund or create a family of smaller specialized funds? So all strategies to still uh, focus on a core fund. Uh, we're not planning to scale it to very large size. Uh, I think, you know, the size of the fund has to be dimensioned for the type of things we you do. Uh, our focus is first checked at pre-seed. There's a question of volume uh, of quality pre-seed companies in all categories uh, that kind of dictate the optimal size for us. I think if you start to fragment your fund and do all kinds of things, you know, it's a diversification strategy. I'm not sure how well the, you know, the sum of the parts is bigger than, uh, than the independent, uh, uh, you know, entities uh, that, could, that could be attempted. I haven't seen it work that well so far. And, and to conclude this show, for people that would love to work for a great climate tech startup or even for a climate tech fund, where would you advise them to, to start? So uh, if they want to work with our portfolio, uh, there's a lot of jobs uh, published on the job section on our website across the entire portfolio. For climate tech funds, like fortunately, there's more and more uh, funds that uh, are popping up all around the world. I think last year there were more like seven, some, some 60 or 70 new climate tech funds. Mm -hmm. So those are looking for talent uh, at all levels. Uh, there's more and more climate tech companies also all around the world. Uh, there's some sources of information that are that are quite good uh, for all of that. Like one is uh, the Climate Tech VC newsletter uh, that yep. publishes really good information. Uh, there's a number of databases you can find listing various climate funds and climate tech companies. Uh, so I think those are good starting points. Uh, in addition to that, 
because more and more people want to work in climate, there's even companies that have been or, or organizations that have been set up to help people make that transition, that career transition. Uh, so you have com- organizations like uh, Work on Climate and uh, a few others uh, that uh, help you with that. So uh, there's at least three or four that are quite reputable. Yeah, thanks for the pointers. We'll link everything in the show notes. I've also personally written an article about to help people do that. So we will link all this. Thanks so much, Benjamin, for this wide-ranging conversation. It's been fun. Thank you, Johan. Thanks for having me and uh, wishing wishing your podcast and uh, all the climate uh, enthusiasts uh, the best in the coming years. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com.